In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take the, take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we all come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. That's lls.org slash bigclimb. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode. Hey, I feel like I got a southern accent right off the hop there. Um, welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. This week's guest is John Shannon, who I'm going to give a listener credit for this one. I mean, John was a guy that naturally I would want to have on the podcast. Um, a veteran in the TV broadcasting world, most recently with Sportsnet, you know, was on the desk breaking news. He was, John Shannon has, has done just about everything, also Hockey Night in Canada. Um, and I got a, a email a year ago, and I mentioned this to John. Um, from a listener named Jesse, who was like, please have John Shannon on the podcast, who, great storyteller, has a, a great um, history uh, in, the, in the sport. And I said, oh, I love that idea. I go, if I don't do it in the next year, email me back. And four days ago, Jesse emailed back and said, hey, you told me to, to email you back if you don't have John on in a year, and you haven't. So here I am. And so I'm like, okay, producer Tyler. Let's do this. And we got John Shannon on, and John was gracious with this time. And the timing's great because, of course, the NHL came out with the Return to Play initiative. And having John to on to break down right away what, what that means, what his impressions are of the plan, and also what that might look like on television. This is a guy that's that knows a thing or two about a TV production. And to get her, his perspective on that was fascinating. And also... Just how he's ended up doing everything. He, you know, getting into his path, talking about his first job, talking about his influences, um, including the great Ralph Mellenby, who we get into. Uh, just a, a wide ranging, spanning conversation with John. So I'm really excited about that. So without further ado, this week's Full 60 with John Shannon. All right, John. Well, thanks for doing this. And I'm excited to to get you on because for the first time in a while, we can actually just jump out of the gate and talk about hockey and news <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> analysis. Um, what were your impressions as Gary? And you kind of had been on top of things anyways, so it wasn't surprising. But as, as this plan to the return to play plan came to fruition, what, what were your first impressions? Well, uh, the, the amount of work that they've done, and, and when you combine what uh, the New York office did with the return to play group, including mm-hmm. some players, uh, hockey ops, uh, and, and obviously uh, what, the, what the medical committees have done and the chief medical officer of the league has done, 
in order to try to make sure that whatever occurs happens as safely as it can and in healthy environment. That said, Craig, we're, uh, you know, we're still a long way away uh, from seeing a hockey game. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I joked about it last night. Uh, you know, we, we have a timeline with no times involved. <laughs> because because well well we're gonna we we might open early June, uh we're we may go to camp early July or mid July and we hope to play by a, you know end of July or early August hope hopefully fingers crossed yeah. toes crossed that's and and I, they've done the best they could they did a magnificent right. job and uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing hockey again. I I wonder how much of this is just hey let's give people something to talk about. So we're not sitting here speculating about CBA matters and stuff. Just, you know what I mean? Like, hey, let's let's move the ball forward a little bit so we can so we can change the conversation. I I, I think there's a lot of that. I and by the way, I think the NHL has done a magnificent job in the 77 days of keeping hockey fans entertained. You know, yeah. I, I, it's they have kept it topical. They have they have thrown bones to the media. Uh, to bandy about to get reaction from the fans and reaction from uh, key constituents. I, I think uh, with with everything that's gone on, I think they've done a marvelous job of keeping hockey, uh, you know, on the front burner for hockey fans. And yeah. and uh, otherwise, it I I don't know how they could have done a, a better job than 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 what they did. The other thing is. You know, and we don't we don't crow in our sport very much about uh, beating the NBA, but the NHL had a return to play plan before the NBA did, mm. um, and I think that that's I think that's a, a feather in the cap of all the people involved. Why do you think it's it's been interesting to me because there seems to be it's almost and I you know I don't want to be naive here, but a harmony between the PA and the NHL. Like the, there was the return to play committee and. You know, there's there's been, uh, you know, there just seems to be a a common goal or or whatever. You're not seeing the bickering that you're seeing in some of these other sports, and usually hockey leads the way on that front. Do you have any theories on why it hasn't been the case, at least publicly, that we're seeing? Well, I think both sides need to mitigate the losses. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, I, 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 I think that, uh, and and Gary, Gary and Bill have been very smart in making sure that. Uh, it doesn't look like it's uh, a benevolent dictatorship. Mm-hmm. It looks like there is a partnership. You know, the play. You know, I mean, are we talking bracketing? Or are we talking about uh, reseeding? Well, the players can decide that. You I know, there that, lot, that, that that comment, John, to me, like that really jumped out to me. It was like, hey, absolutely. if the players feel strongly about it, then we'll just we'll reseed. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, usually it's like, here's what we're gonna do. I can tell you what one exact conversation from uh, from the return to play uh, committee that uh, uh, the first the first time they had this play in tournament it was going to be suggested that it was a best two out of three mm-hmm. and uh, and John Tavares spoke up and said to Gary you know two out of three I'm not going to go to camp for three weeks three and a half weeks to come and maybe only play two games yeah and and Gary said you know what you're right whatever you know you're right so mm-hmm. we're gonna go we're gonna go three to five. And so that's the type, uh, I, I really think there is a genuine belief that the only way the game thrives, and, and at this point survives, is if they all pull in the same direction. 
Um, and, and right now, uh, and, and I mean, you know, the one thing we have, there's a couple of issues we haven't heard about what's going to happen to that last paycheck the players, uh, are supposed to get. Is it going to be put back in escrow? Uh, is it going to be, or, and we also haven't heard what's going to happen to all those player bonuses on July 1st. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's still some things to work out between the sides. Uh, but it, but it, when it comes to the actually playing of the events and playing the games, it sounds like everybody really has a desire to work together. Yeah, and I think one advantage is, I was talking to someone about this today, like baseball is sitting there fighting over, okay, how much of their salaries are they going to get? Like they have their whole season to look forward to and negotiate in terms of, and like the players have been paid. You know, we're talking about the last paycheck still, and that's about it. Like that's Well, and, and, and the conversation baseball is having with their players and the owners, we may still have in December. Yeah. Uh, because the goal of everything that's gone on is that the NHL will return for the 2021 with people in the buildings, with fans in seats. Um, and if there aren't fans in seats, then our, our sponsorship, league sponsorships and network revenues large enough to carry... And the answer is, yeah, it's maybe 60% of the revenue in the league, but it's to keep the salary cap at, you know, close to 80 million or 80 million and above. And, and the answer probably is no. So yeah. if, if there are no people in the seats, Gary and Don might be having that conversation in December. Right, right. And that, like, like that struck me too. I mean, a couple of things. Like Gary seemed very honest about... Um, like I liked his comment. There was something along the lines of, "If we're putting dates, we're just guessing." And but then it was like, also on this, on this other hand, we, we want to play in front of full arenas, you know, next season, and that's that's going to happen essentially, or that's the plan as it stands right now. And that to me seems just as speculative, right? Like I, I, I like maybe maybe I'm just been stuck in my house too long. But the idea of playing in front of a full arena as soon as January just seems like a long shot. I mean, we don't know anything, and I'm, I'm willing to grant that, but that's, that seems pretty optimistic. We have gone from basically zero to where we be seven days. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're talking six months to January 1st, seven months to January 1st. Uh, you know, that, that to me says, you know, how much could change. And, 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 the the other thing that really that pe when people say why are they doing this let's just cancel, I mean it it doesn't take any more time to plan because you got nothing else to do. You might <laughs> you might as well plan. You might as well think it out, think it thoroughly. Because if you think it out thoroughly and have an opportunity to execute the plan, it's e it's much easier to do rather than saying okay the season's canceled, and then two months from now when things when the tide turns can't call people back that quickly right so you might as right. well plan properly you might as well go through the process and you might as well you know get what you think is the most fair for the most teams uh, as we start dealing and, and playing for the Stanley Cup again and so that that to me like that's what struck me about both the lottery and the playoff system or play in or whatever we're calling it like there seemed to be an over-the-top um, effort to, to make to please a lot of people because in part because it was so comp complicated and convoluted. And I think that's part of the reason why. And, and I was, you know, just trying to explain a couple of it and I, and I had to stop. I'm like, I, you know, this, this sounds, I'm not doing a good job explaining even how this works. Um, 
But ultimately, I think it was because if you simplified it too much, you, it was going to, you know, it probably was going to hurt the fairness. Like, do you think in terms of fairness and pleasing as many of the 31 teams as possible like this, where does this fall on the spectrum? Well, uh, I mean, I think it's as fair as a 24 team, will, a team tournament will allow. Yeah. Uh, I, I was actually, you know, if we're, I wanted a seven team lottery. I didn't want. Yeah. I mean, I I think if you if you got a chance to play in a playoff, I don't think you need, you, you you need to be in the lottery. I would have been happy if it was you know if you looked at the standings in reverse order, to, Buffalo to Detroit. I would have been happy with that for yeah, the, why for the even, draft lottery. Why, why for not just spots. cut it off there? Do you have I don't any... know. Well, I, I, except that what it does do, believe it or not, is those teams that have had successful seasons that in the old system would have clinched the playoff spot. Edmonton comes to top of mind. Uh, they actually, if they lose to Chicago in that in that first play-in round, they get a chance to go back in the lottery. Um, right. And and it's a it, to me, it's a bit of an appeasement. Mm. Um, but I don't know how much. Uh, at the same time, they you know for some reason they want to maintain the integrity of uh, a draft lottery with um, with fifteen teams in it. And so you have yeah. to you have to uh, you have to understand and respect that. What I want to know is, all right, let's say we do the lottery in in June, whatever it is, and two teams, two placeholders win. Now all of a sudden, you have what, what, what like a twenty five percent chance of winning a top three pick if you're one of those teams. Like how? Like I don't know. Maybe I don't yeah. want to win. Which is which is why I favored the seventeen draft lottery from the beginning. <laughs> Right. You know, and, and actually, I would if somebody told me we're, no draft lottery and it's uh, Detroit picks first and just go through the through the and Ottawa's got two picks in the first four and I would have been happy with that too. You know, yeah. The, you know the whole concept of the draft lottery um, is uh, to avoid people tanking through a whole 82 game schedule. Well, when you when you still had 189 games left in the regular season, not everybody had the full ability to tank yet. Right. Um, and so you, so you were, you were beyond that. So to me, seventeens uh, would have been fine. But I understand what they're trying to do and how. They, they, believe it or not, they're up, they're almost trying to make it too fair for right. everybody. And 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 God bless them for trying. All right. So one of the things I want to talk to you about, John, is is this opportunity now to um, kind of like the league can be creative on a lot of levels and especially in how they televise these things without fans. You know, in, I don't know if you watched that golf, the the Mickelson Tiger Woods thing where they're mic'd up and you can hear trash yeah. talking. Like I, now it's like, okay, like you said, you have all this time to prepare to be creative. Do you have any sense of what it might look like from a television side or what, what you would do or how, you know, how can you maximize this opportunity when, when well, trying to bring well, this to the fans? So here, here's here's the challenge, Craig. Um, there there are times to be creative. There are times to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, this is both. Okay. Uh, when you when you have a microscope on you, like there will be uh, for this tournament, you want to make sure you see every goal in the net very easily. You want to make sure he shoot. You know, you hear Doc or Jimmy Houston say he shoots, he scores very easily you want to make sure that the uh, the foundation the nuts and bolts of your broadcast work perfectly okay and then you can enhance 
And that becomes the real challenge. At what point do you think it's important to change the way we watch the game? And the answer is, well, I, I want to see everything I normally see. I don't want them to reinvent the wheel right. during the playoffs. I mean, <laughs> okay. if this is the playoffs, if this is the playoffs, I don't want them to reinvent the wheel. I yeah. want them to, I want them to do the the right things properly. And now let's start to let let's take some let's take a few chances throughout the broadcast um, that that won't you know challenge the viewer to not know where the puck is. Right. And so that becomes a really tough thing for broadcasters because uh, the the two golfs that I've watched. Um, I think the guys who did the second one, the one with uh, with Peyton and and uh, Tom Brady, I think they learned a lot from the first one because mm-hmm. it was much more simple. I thought the one with Rory was overproduced. Sure, uh, you know, I just I just want golfers to golf and talk, and we don't want that. I'll tell you what, you're going to tick off a ton of viewers who watch hockey in both countries uh, if you start producing while the game is on. Mm. when the clock isn't running right it's an interesting thought right because you sit there and go okay you're gonna you have your diehard fan who's just been waiting to watch hockey you bring it back well, that who's, that's sudden, who's gonna watch right that's who's you gonna don't watch so this. you don't think there's a chance hey hey there's nothing else on we have the whole world watching do we might have to do something differently here well i mean i i think that professional sports period will be enough for if people want to watch sports yeah, and I I do think that the 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 simplicity of doing proper game coverage will sell the game much better than anything else. Yeah, right. You know, I I I, I, I do a lot of public speaking and do some teaching, and I I, uh, I always joke that here in Canada for a hundred years we had a political party called the Progressive Conservatives. Yeah. How are you yeah. progressively conservative? And that's right, what right. that's what hockey and television is. Yeah. It is progressively conservative have to make changes very subtly you can't start to reinvent the wheel tomorrow mm-hmm. you have to make changes subtly in order to make it work for everybody so the people that are going to be doing the world feed the people that are going to be doing the domestic feeds the challenge is is to make sure you deliver the meat and potatoes first yeah. before you start serving the dessert do you have an example of like a subtle change that you would you would kind of characterize as progressive oh. you know yeah, what i mean like I, something that that has occurred in the game. Yeah, that has already had, like in in the broadcast world, where you're like, this this is something that you know you wouldn't have touted as game changing, but it was it moved the ball forward. Uh, well, I tell you, Craig, the, the 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 first thing that comes to mind for me is something that happened that wasn't that long ago. Well, wasn't for me, but it probably was for most of the people who listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> and that was the uh, the net cam, uh, net cam yeah. in Canada, goal cam in the United States. Uh, that uh, got put into uh, play in, at the Olympics in Lillehammer in 1994. It was the vision of uh, a guy named Doug Beforth, who was running CTV Sports at the time, uh, through some friends that he had at, uh, in British auto racing. Hmm. Uh, and um, it wasn't even on NHL games. Uh, it was at the Olympics uh, in Norway uh, that uh, got brought back um, because it worked so well uh, at the Olympics, uh, and uh, now if we don't have net cams in in every game, people are crowing that we're <laughs> we're not covering the game properly. So, right. 
Uh, that to me is is uh, I think a good example. I think the the overhead cameras, uh, you know, that uh, uh, started when I was the first uh, producer to use them in in 1991 in Minnesota, uh, where it was a simple little add-on. It didn't add a cameraman. It just added a camera. It was the first year of video review on the old VHS machines yeah. uh, in the NHL, and, and 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 those types of things worked. But, you, you know, you didn't use them live during the game very often. You used them to enhance the broadcast. Right. And I think, that's the, that, I think that's what you have to do. Again, what you have to do is make sure that you get the meat and potatoes properly before you serve the dessert. Right. To me, the interesting thing, like I've got a, a good friend who's, who's into soccer and he's, he's been watching, you know, the games without the fans. And his biggest gripe about it is, like it's it's lost its juice right when there's no fans and i'm just curious what they'll end up doing with you know do you pipe sound in or what do you, you know what do you do to make up for the fact that you're in an empty building like that i think that might be one of the biggest challenges yeah i i, I agree with you mm-hmm. uh i mean the good the good news is for our sport is there are some great natural sounds yeah. you know the skates on the ice uh, the puck on the boards and glass uh, the players yelling. The challenge right. might be how to keep that PG. Yeah. Uh, oh, like for uh, sure. Know, and and that that's something that I think they have to have to be concerned with, uh, almost to the point where you wonder if uh, on on the main networks they run a broadcast that does and use some censorship, and then on another channel they they leave it to free and wide uh, with the, with the microphones wide open. Like uh, I'm, I'm, the last dance, they did that on ESPN and ESPN too. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I'm sure that they're considering things like that. Those are things that, uh, that, that people who they have jobs to do and, and have to consider all that stuff every day. I, you know, it's funny because you, I mean, you've had, you've had access to that sound on this, on the ice from the players. Like, I, I mean, that's players will really have to be aware that they're that they're being broadcast live. If it's well, good. and and that's you know it, it's funny. I, I I was talking to somebody at the league office. I said, so you know, you're talking about quarantining and self distancing. What are you going to do with off ice officials? And what right. are you going to do uh, with the guy in the penalty box? Because if he's close to players, he's 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 going to have to self distance and self quarantine too for two months. Yeah. Um, and they said, well, no, but we don't, we will just let the player, maybe we'll let the player just be in the box by himself. I said, are you kidding me? Every player I'll cheat. <laughs> Every player will go out two seconds before the period, sure. the penalty ends, you know, and, and it's the same thing with, it's the same thing with the language. Once hockey players get into the heat of the battle, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what it is, the trash talking, it starts and you know, it, it will, uh, It'll uh, it'll raise a few eyebrows. Yeah. Well, the best like there's going to end up being like some breakouts like Wes McCauley or somebody's going to be this huge star, star because people are going to hear stuff they've never heard. You know what I mean? Like that's that that's a potential fun thing. Well, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, God, I love Wes, but I'm not sure that that's that, <laughs> the, the idea of the idea of having the referee to be the star is uh, not necessarily where we need to be. No, you, yeah, you would be a fan of that, eh? That's great. Well. Remember, this is the commissioner that took uh, names off backs and put numbers back on. So. Yeah, I like we've wanted access to those guys during this. I think that there's so many great stories to tell, and that is not happening, sadly. 
Well, I, I mean, again, the NHL is, you know, I, I noticed that Wes has been on PK's uh, online show a couple of times uh, uh, and done a few things. But uh, the best officiated games in my lifetime and in your lifetime, Craig, are the ones where we don't notice them. Right. So, and with all due respect to officials who are my great friends, I don't want to hear from them. I just want them to do their job and go home. <laughs> See, I want to hear from them. They got great stories. I want to, or at least I want to share a few of them. But that's, I, I hear where you're coming from. Um, all right. So I wanted, to, I wanted to talk to you for another reason because I have a listener, and I'm going to share this email or part of it, named Jesse Wright, who. A year ago was like, you got to get John Shannon on. And I'm like, yes, that's a great idea. And I said, hey, I get easily distracted. Email me back in a year if I don't. And and so he's oh, you good know, for Jesse. Jesse, four days ago, said, hey, you told me <laughs> a year later, if you don't have him on to, to bug you again. And he's he goes, he is my absolute favorite hockey personality. Oh. And I miss his insight. And his history is so unique that I think he'd be the perfect guest. And and I wanted to get into that history because it is unique. Like it's funny. Like yours is a name. Even before we knew each other, it would come up. Someone would be like, "Oh yeah, John Shannon hired me." And I'm like, "John Shannon hired you know." I like I knew you in a different role, right? As mm-hmm. the, you know, front facing Sportsnet. Or I'd be talking to like Ken Daniels at the rink, and he'd he'd have some story about that. You know, that influenced you, and just how how big an influence you were. And so. You, you've you've had all these many hats, and it's and I find that fascinating. And I so so, what was your first break? Like, what was your first foot in the door into this world? Well, I mean, I uh, I, I was lucky enough to uh, I went to university in Toronto at uh, at, at Ryerson, mm-hmm. which at that time was Canada's answer to Syracuse University when it came to broadcasting. Yeah, uh, and uh, Hockey Night in Canada offices were two blocks down the street. And uh, during part of your school year, you have to do a project. And I, I picked a project on the great Jim Robson, who was the voice of the Vancouver Canucks, mm-hmm. who was my boyhood idol, who I grew, I grew up in, in rural British Columbia and loved listening to Jim. So I, but I had to go to the Hockey Night in Canada office, get permission to do it. And uh, next thing you know, I'm going to the Hockey Night in Canada office every day. They can't get rid of me. <laughs> uh, and I'm just going to hang around. Uh, yeah, literally, I am going to hang around and talk to people and, and, you know, long story short, about 60 days in the president of the company walked up to me and says, young man, if uh, if you work here, you have to wear a shirt and tie. And I said, <laughs> well, Mr. Huff, I don't uh, I don't work. Here. He says, well, you do now. And uh, so that's great. Uh, I was a teenager. And so I was going to school. I was working at a radio station in Toronto, CFRB, and I was working at Hockey Night in Canada in my second year university. And uh, I was traveling a lot on weekends uh, to do uh, hockey games as associate producer, and uh, and this, that's how it really started for me. I got a big break just by being so bloody persistent, and, <laughs> just uh, never and, leaving, and and, it, and and never left, and never and and love. I mean, hey, I, I I I joke that I've never had a real job. I really haven't, because yeah. I've been lucky enough to be around hockey and being around television, and uh, in this country at least. Um, and I've been lucky enough to work a lot in the United States, but in this country, if you can do hockey and you can do television, uh, you got a pretty good life. Yeah, no, I agree. And so early on in your career, who were your who was maybe somebody that tucked you under their wing or influenced you? Uh, well, I worked I worked for a guy named Ralph Mellenby, who was mm-hmm. Canada's answer to Rune Arledge, and yeah. uh, in many ways, Ralph was 
uh, ahead of his time in our country and, and, and in fact, used to go and work for ABC and, and RLA Jet Olympics. Uh, and, and Ralph was, uh, Ralph was a bombastic old guy and, and, but I learned a lot from him. And I, 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 the one thing he taught me is you, you really have to get embedded with people and, and use relationships and talk to people all the time. So he, he was on the production side and, and, uh, he, Ralph was, was really a driving force. Uh, but then I, you know, I have, I, I've been so fortunate. I have guys that are both have passed away and, and, are still alive that have been such a force in my life. Dan Kelly, the great voice of the St. Louis blues. Yeah. Uh, it comes to mind as one of those guys that took me under his wings so many times on the road and discussed life and discussed broadcasting and uh, Bob Cole, the same way, John Davidson, Dave Hodge. I mean, I've, I have the, the thing about be, being, I'm 63 now, Craig, the, the one thing I can say is that I, I, I started in an analog world and I work in a digital one. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in so many ways, being able to understand both uh, has been a huge benefit to me and, and being able to change it all the time has been a huge benefit to me. So those are the people that really have been a driving force in my life. Yeah. Well, it's interesting for you to, to um, say that, you know, Ralph's one of his lessons is, is relationships. And, and I didn't, I, I never met Ralph, but I, I, you know, obviously knew his son, Scott was the mm-hmm. captain of the first team I ever covered the Atlanta thrashers went back in the day. And Scott couldn't have been a better, you know, person to break in with in the media. Like just, you know, oh. unbelievable well, I, I've, listen, I've known Scotty since he was eight. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. so, so that, uh, Scott used to be, be around Maple Leaf Gardens on a Saturday when we were producing games. Yeah, uh, and it's Scotty and his sister Laura, and uh, and and Ralph would be around. So you're right. I mean, it, it, it it's um, in many ways. In many ways, I don't think Ralph has received the recognition uh, in the hockey world that he deserves for how he transitioned the game of hockey on television from what it was to what it is. Um, yeah. I, I truly believe that he was a he was a visionary. Uh, and at some point, I hope he gets the credit he deserves. Do you, like, what's something that you would that he did? Because I I don't know a lot of that history, especially you know growing up in the states and and you know, it's in growing up mostly in the digital world. Like, what what well, is something it, that Ralph did that that people don't realize? I I think you know we we overuse the phrase now, um, but uh, the whole concept of storytelling. I, I think Ralph was Ralph was an innovator in our game about telling stories and creating relationships and and so that when you watched a game and whether it was Dick Irvin in the booth or Brian McFarland in the booth uh, and there was a story it was something that was had been driven home by uh, by Ralph and how important it was to talk about the people not just analyze the play yeah uh, and it's something I live with now uh, I, I I think that's that has to be our strength as as a game, because the game, you know, Craig, we work it. We we work in a sport where not many people play it. You know, right. I mean, right. there are, there were seven or six million people watched the the Stanley Cup final last year uh, on NBC. Well, I I, I would challenge that five hundred thousand have ever played the game. Yeah. So, so are we going to, are we going to communicate stories about playing the game to the 500,000? Are we going to come in to do stories to the 5.5 million 
about what good people our athletes are and, and what makes them tick and what family people they are and what adversities they've gone through. So, I mean, that, that was what Ralph really uh, put in and, and placed in. I mean, when, as, as a kid uh, watching Hockey Night in Canada, you always saw features yeah. in the first intermission. You always saw them in the second intermission. That was Ralph's vision for what the, what the show should be. Uh, and then, you know, beyond that, it was, it was, you know, trying to uh, convince Don Cherry to be Don Cherry. I mean, the, the famous, the famous story of, of Mellonby was the second week that, that Don was on the air. Don was brutal, absolutely brutal in, in, mm. the, in the segment. And Ralph walked in the studio and he said, what are you doing? What, why are you doing this? And, 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 and Don said, well, I thought that I, and Ralph interrupted him and he said, stop it. Stop thinking, just do it. Hmm. And that was, you know, that was Ralph's way of saying, hey, we want Don Cherry to be Don Cherry. And that lasted, what, 37 years or something like that. Right, right. Um, so how did you find, so I, I agree, like creating the relationships, like there was, I read a quote from you somewhere that just said, you know, as long as you, you know, you're fair to people and you're able to create relationships, there always will be room for storytelling in, in, in this world. And, and I'm curious, you've, you've spanned this time in this league, and I've seen it evolve in my time covering the league. It, it becomes more difficult, right? And even now I fear we're going to be like doing everything over Zoom, even when it, if it, if it goes back to normal, because people are like, hey, I kind of like this, where we don't have to actually be in, in contact with the people on, on the other side in the, or in the media. How have you managed to maintain those relationships or develop those relationships as that world has evolved? Well, the great thing about being around as many years as I have, Craig, is that you go from being the same age as the players yeah. to the same age as the coaches, to the same age as the managers, to the same age as the presidents, to the same age as the owners. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so in the end, you, you have the ability to say, okay, well, I'm going to phone, I'm going to phone the president today. Wait, do you know the president? I says, I've known him for 20 years and I knew him when he was a bad hockey player. <laughs> and so I have, I have a, I have a unique, I have a unique position to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, the other aspect is, and I have to give the league a ton of credit for this, uh, all my years at hockey night and, and my last job there as executive producer, uh, phoning teams, uh, you didn't get near the respect. I mean, I got a lot of respect, but you didn't get near the respect from the teams that you did that if you were, that if you phoned as a league employee. So that five years I spent as, uh, you know, the VP of broadcast in the NHL, that changed a ton of awareness uh, in the league amongst the teams, amongst uh, particularly the executives uh, for me. So, uh, you, you know, the, year, the years that I was working out of the New York office and I phoned a manager, well, there a lot of those managers are still in place and I can still phone them uh, right. in, in the job that I'm doing because they know, you know there's a trust factor. They know that I, I do believe they know that we have the same goal in mind, which is to believe in the game, to promote the game. Uh, and to want people to be entertained by the game. That's, that's my goal. I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't care if I don't, I don't have a team to root for. Right. Um, and, and in telling that stories, the stories that you talk about, I don't mind being critical as long as I'm fair. Yeah. And so that means you you have to be able to pick up the phone and say, Hey, listen, tomorrow I'm going to say this about your team. Is, is that valid? And what, and if it isn't valid, you tell me why it isn't. And I'll tell you why I think it is. And in the end of the day, 
you you finish the conversation with with a person who trusts you and views you as a friend as opposed to someone who said well that, he he's just fake news that heads up is uh, is something that i had to learn and i was it's funny that you bring that up i was just talking to somebody yesterday that was mad at someone they're like i, I just felt blindsided by it and they're like yeah. you know for instance when this happened i got a call from this person and it was like hey i'm reporting this just so you know there was it was just a, almost a courtesy the reporter didn't have to do that you don't have to um and, and or whatever or whatever unless you, you know you're trying to get comment or confirmation or whatever it is and it was just like you know even if it was negative or they disagreed, just knowing it was coming, having that courtesy helped. Right. Oh, no, no, it, it does. It, it does. It, it, two things. First of all, we're in, and, and you, you and I may differ in this, but remember, I, I, I come from a world that buys its position within the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I work for networks and work for people that pay to be there. Right. You know, the, the athletic doesn't pay to be at a game. Correct. So uh, I uh, so I I'm I'm a business partner too. Not only am I uh, at the game, but I'm a business partner of the team, of the league, of the network. Uh, so so it's it's a little bit of a different position. I don't mm-hmm. view myself as a journalist. Okay. I, I do not. Uh, I would never think that I'm a journalist. I and again to beat a dead phrase, I'm a storyteller. Yeah, I, I want people. I want as a, when I talk to kids, I said, "Listen, I want people to watch the game tonight that I'm on," and they go, "Wow, hey, that's kind of cool. Oh, that's a neat story." And I'm going to watch again tomorrow. Right. I've done my job. I, right. I, I've done my job. I'm not saying that I I I, I uh, sugarcoat things, but I I play things down the middle to be fair and at the same time try to keep it, keep it entertaining. But certainly, I am I am not. I am not a journalist, hmm. uh, and and it never claimed to be. It's it's interesting that you make that distinction because because there are times or, you know let's say when you're at Sportsnet and you're reporting trades or whatever like that is a that's a pretty journalisty <laughs> hat you're wearing in that moment I would say. Uh, yeah, at the same time, I would tell you that, uh, and I all I have to do is look at who gets the trades first. Is yeah. that, uh, is is the rights holders get helped? Yeah. So yeah, sure. they they're, they're buying they're buying their information, mm-hmm. they're buying position, uh, and and that's a reality of the relationship between television sports and teams and leagues. That's right. just a reality. It's it, it may it, some people may not think it's fair, but you know you know we're we're talking about again it's different in sports than it is in going to the White House every day right. or going to Parliament Hill every day. It's different. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's news. That's journalism. Right, right, right. We're in the sandbox, Craig. <laughs> We're in the sandbox compared to what they're doing. You're ruining my self-image. I feel, I feel like I'm a journalist, John. But that's all right. Well, you, you, you know, listen, when you write your books and you, but I tell you what, you wouldn't have, you, if you didn't treat people fairly, you wouldn't have access to all those coaches that you did when you wrote the book. Sure. Yeah. So, so it, it, it comes back and help. It, it helps you in so many ways. You know, I, what I, I, I always laugh at guys and boy, I said something on the air and I got a call. Well, you know what, you know, I've been on the air. I was on the air 11 years. You know how many calls I had in 11 years of people complaining of what I said? You know how many times? One, I had one, really? one call in 11 years. Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah. And and the guy phoned me. I was at a it was a Saturday morning. He says, I sir, I heard what you said on our our game last night, and it was on a local game. I heard what you said in the game, and I said that's not. He said that's not true. I said, I said, excuse me, sir, did you go to the room last Tuesday? Yeah, I did. Oh, but and what did I say? I said you went to the room and you talked to the players, and I said that was an inappropriate time to do that. Mm-hmm. That's all I said. He says, yeah, you're right. Okay, see you later. <laughs> so, you know, so that uh, that it was uh, it was. Uh, that that part, but but I really in all those years, just one call. Hmm. Let me interrupt my conversation with John. I'm going to share. This is this is an honest to God true story. So my parents used to have a place in Traverse City, and they had rooms for all. I have a brother and sister, so they had three rooms downstairs at this place in Traverse City when we'd go visit them. Um, and one of the rooms, for whatever reason, was basically like. Me and my brother's furniture from when we were a kid, and like, like there was like stuff on the shelves from our childhood rooms, and somehow my cologne from high school or college got moved to this to this dresser that sat for like twenty years, and we would every day we'd go up for Christmas or whatever with the family, I would spray on this this cologne. It was it was um, Tommy the Tommy Hilfiger. Just if you want to know how cool I was uh, at Michigan State University in the mid '90s to late '90s, um, <laughs> just to drive my wife crazy, and she—the truth be told—I haven't worn cologne in a long time because I think my wife would get suspicious. But she liked it. She'd be like, "Did you put Tommy on?" And it became a running joke. And that's a long way to get to the point I'm trying to make here, which is smelling good is important. It, it like it is like in this case, my wife was happy that she was smelling something that reminded her of some really fun times at Machine State, um, and I am excited about our sponsor Hawthorne because Hawthorne products smell really good, and this is like I can tell you this truthfully because I'm currently wearing Hawthorne deodorant and it's amazing, um, and getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy, and I'm just gonna put this as an aside. It's a great Father's Day gift. Um, if you are, if you have to buy for a dad or you're looking for something to suggest to your kids, um, I would suggest going to Hawthorne's website and take the quiz, and they're going to set you up with exactly what you need in terms of cologne. Because here's how it works. You take this two-minute quiz. Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you, one for work and one for play. It's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. I've taken this quiz. I've gone there. There's a lot of questions. Like I, I'm not sure what uh, my drink preference is. I think there was I was talking about um, whiskey over wine at one point, and the Hawthorne, and maybe that was for the soap. But um, it's a, it's a fun quiz. It's actually extremely increases customer satisfaction when they know things about you. So you take this quiz on their website. It tells you exactly what cologne to buy, and then you go get it. And you can try it risk free. So I would encourage you. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co, not .com. Don't make that mistake. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. And use my promo code, do this, full60, to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co, and use the promo code full60 to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co, and you will smell amazing. Seriously, you will. And also try to get some Tommy from like 1998 as well. 
All right, back to the conversation with John. So, did you enjoy the? Because you, you you mentioned being a storyteller and trying to, to get the personalities. Did you enjoy the kind of the news breaking side of it? Like, is that part of it? Yeah, I like it. I mean, I yeah. listen. I still do it. Yeah, sure. You know, I, you, do. you know, I I still uh, and I I mean, I don't do it like like the the mainstream guys. I I'm kind of I'm on the periphery, but. I, I, what I do is, uh, particularly on Twitter, I, I kind of give color, right. and and give uh, and give some depth rather than breaking news, which is probably the probably the best thing that I could do anyway. Yeah. Um, to how things work and why things work and what's the next step and watch for this. Um, I, I think that I think that's a pretty good role for me uh, in these transition years. Yeah. So I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy doing it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I loved being on the air. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was it, it was a great life. It's much easier being on the air than being a producer. I can tell you that. Really? You know, the, the the hours are about a quarter, <laughs> and uh, and the and you you don't have to deal with HR. You don't have to deal with budgets. You don't have to. You just have to be able to sit and talk and put a sentence together. It's kind of fun. Yeah. When when you were making. Now, like, I think you're downplaying the difficulty of going on the air. You know, I think that can, like, that's a that's a skill. Like, some people are naturals, right? And they the camera goes on, and they, they've got that, right? And as someone, like, I had to work at it, is, you know, especially at ESPN, doing SportsCenter, and it was like, you know, I was constantly looking for feedback and tips and how to get better. Um, and, and, and I'm curious, when you made that transition, what, what kind of advice, did you look for advice, or who did, who did you tap into, or you just have been part of it for so long you didn't well i what i what i tried to remember to do was take my own advice because okay. i had been coaching people you know you mentioned kenny daniels but yeah. there's a, there's a ton of guys that i you know even even in my time like for the last <laughs> 30 years if i didn't like something on the air even if it wasn't on a network that i was working on i would probably phone my friend mm. and say hey i saw you last night why did you do that um, and you say, well, this is, I said, well, you, you know what? I think he would have looked better or sounded better if he had done this. Oh yeah. Good point. So, uh, I, in the end, and I mean, I was shaky, I think for the first three years uh, on the air, yeah. uh, I finally started to take my own advice about, you know, just having a conversation, just relaxing, be yourself. Uh, don't try to be Walter Cronkite. Right. You know, tr- try try to be John Shannon and try to make it work, and and that probably would, in the end, uh, make you more successful. And again, it becomes there that likability quotient of guys like Jesse, who said he really enjoyed me. Because and and you have to be able to be approachable and 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 create the perception of being accessible, even when you're on the air on a on a desk. I mean, that's that's all part and parcel. You have to be. You have to make sure you, you you tell the people you're having fun doing it. Yeah. You know, and that's important. It's funny. The likability is not necessarily something you hear about a lot when we're talking about media. But I can tell you when we're, you know, we're growing the athletic and you're looking like, especially with what we're doing, it's a subscription business. You need people that want to support you. And so have like connecting with people, having a, a personality where people want to support you. And I mean, being good at your job, too. You can't be just like this colossal jerk, right? And and then people pay to see you or give their time to watch you. Right. I don't think. Maybe you can. I, I, I think that, I mean. and I think I actually think that's the biggest difference between radio and television and the old print world. 
Yeah. Um, where there's always that you, you do need to, you know, there aren't too many curmudgeons that succeed long term. And there's going to be there's there's one every once in a while, but there aren't too many curmudgeons on radio and television. Um, but you can have curmudgeons on in, in, in old newspapers because people like to read curmudgeons. Right. Yeah. yeah so so it, I, I, and I do think in your world, in the again, in that the new digital world where I mean, you guys write, but it's 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 a it's a two way street yeah. in so many ways. You know, you're. I know you work for a company, but you're really writing for your your biggest investor, and that's your subscribers. That's right. And so it, that I think that's that's not a bad thing because I think it's changed a lot of people's demeanor about how to how to write and how to how to be in this business. I think well, for sure it has because you can no longer, or at least it, you can't be on a pedestal and you can't look down at viewers or in our case, subscribe like. Like we tell anyone we're hired, like you're in the comments section, you're responding to people, and that's way even that's way different than it used to be. Don't even go near the comments section; it's a cesspool. Now you know, like these are the people paying your salary, so get in there and interact with them. And right, right. I well, I, I used, I've, I've actually I, I don't mind saying it on this, but I've uh, I've quite enjoyed uh, in the last three or four years seeing my friends, and I, I I'll use the word and not not in an insulting way, but chill to get subscribers and all you guys have uh, tweeted <laughs> out hey, it? Listen, for only 4.95 a month and we'll give you a secret bonus for 20 percent i mean it's magical that you guys that we've the television guys have been doing that for years <laughs> you know i mean now the, now finally the the ink, ink ink stained wretches are you know go, going through what we did on cable television yeah that's great it's true like we're we're like it's it's you're promoting it's it's a you know if you can't there is a certain amount of self-promotion that probably didn't have to happen. You know, when you're putting on a newspaper and, and that was it you know, right. from our perspective. Well, your, your job was to, to write 900 words. That was yeah. your job. Yeah. You know, it wasn't your, wasn't your job to market. Your job was to, to, well, to be a journalist. Your job was to be a journalist. Right. It wasn't right. to be a salesperson. Yeah. Um, well, the, you got to evolve. So, I, so you kind of mentioned transition period. What does that look like for you? I don't know. You know, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I joke uh, through the pandemic that uh, that this is kind of like semi-retirement for me, and I've learned that I don't like semi-retirement. <laughs> right. um, so, I, 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 I believe that there will be some really good opportunities coming my way. Um, and I, I think I'm in a position that if they're in production behind the scenes, I have a, a, a resume that will allow me to, to take that job. And if somebody is uh, willing to take a risk uh, on me as a commentator, as a, uh, somebody back on a desk or on radio, I, I, I think I can uh, serve them competently that way too. So I, I, I think I put myself in a pretty good spot yeah. uh, in a transition year. Uh, you know, this was, uh, and I mean, I stayed busy all winter. You know, I still do a little bit of radio in Edmonton. I uh, was involved in the Connor McDavid documentary from right mm-hmm. from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did some writing, um, so I've I've stayed busy and uh, and stayed involved. And uh, uh, I, I haven't viewed this as being and and really what I've tried to do, Craig, more than anything, and I think I've succeeded is uh, I've made sure that I'm still relevant. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and, and that's I've important. That, John. You, like, you, you can't, you can't, you can't fade away. Yeah. It would have been easy just to disappear or like, I, I would be tempted to just check out and be like, yeah, hey, I need some, I need some time to recharge and oh, I'm no. not tell from you at all. You can't do that. You can't no. do that. No. You know, yeah. so, so my, my, my job this year was to stay relevant and I think I've succeeded. And I, I think as we get through the pandemic and people start realizing, okay, now we've got to gear up again. Mm-hmm. What do we, what do we need? Okay, well, let's go find this guy. Yeah. Um, as someone who's been through, you know, layoffs at ESPN, like that was some of the most difficult part of my career, even just watching it through my teammates and all of that. Like for for you at Sportsnet, was it something that was blindsided? Were you blindsided by it all or how did that go down? No. Yeah. No. You know, I, um, uh, you know, it, 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 it was time, you know, mm. it was time. Um, you know, if, if it was, and, and I guess if it was just me that I got singled out and right. they threw me out the door and everybody else, all my friends were still there, uh, I, I, I might be bitter, right. <laughs> but, 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 but they, you know, they loaded up a bus and, uh, right. and, and uh, we're not alone. So, um, so it's, it's been good. I mean, uh, my, my, I don't mind it. I don't, I don't miss working there. You know, yeah. I miss my friends, but I, do, I don't miss working there. Uh, and uh, you know what? I, I, I've always said in many ways, it, it's, it's, it's not what happens to you that matters. It's what you do about it that counts. Yeah. And so I, I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward. And, I, and, I, and that's, that's not a line. That I, right. really, I really have. I had, it, that, that's the first time I've been asked that question in a long time. It's the first time I've actually thought about it in a long time. Mm. No, I, I don't work there anymore and I'm fine with it. I'm actually yeah. fine with it. And because what's coming next is going to be even more exciting. Yeah. I love that you're teaching. Do you enjoy teaching? Uh, some days, uh, <laughs> you, you know, here's, 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 here's the thing, Craig, here's the, here's the amazing thing about teaching is, uh, and I, I had a producer that worked for me for years, a guy named Ed Millick, and he says, you know what, you'd be, you're so good, be, but, but you expect people to read your mind, uh, <laughs> to yeah. teach. Um, the thing is, is I, I try, I'm trying to talk to people, uh, in terms of television. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, you, you still have to know how to say once upon a time, a hockey player was a good guy and he lived happily ever after. Those are the three forms that you need to be able to do, whether it doesn't matter on what platform. Yeah. And if you can ingrain that to people and kid, I'll tell you what, and I'm sounding like an old man right now. Kids sometimes have a difference. I'm grasping once upon a time. Like what is once upon a time? What is it? Is that a close up? Is that how does that story begin? Learning how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. So the last three years in teaching, what I've tried to do is try to teach people how to tell stories. You know, I don't care what the story is. I really don't but how to tell a story. And there are some kids that go through it with flying colors and other guys that, and, and young women that uh, they just can't grasp it. They just yeah. can't grasp that, that factor. So, um, you know, but you know, I, I, I do like being, being around young people. It keeps you younger, keeps you thinking younger. They've taught me a lot about the digital world, which is good, which, which I like because yeah. you need in your, like you, I mean, I, the world's changing all the time and you need to be, I mean, I, I had an argument with my daughter last week. Should I be on TikTok? And she says, <laughs> she says, no, you, you, you should not be on TikTok. 
I said, well, I don't know. Maybe I should be on TikTok. I might be really good on TikTok. She says, Dad, you should not be on TikTok. I think you should be on TikTok, John. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> going to do it. I might do it as a Twitter poll soon. Should I, I, have, I, mean, should I be on TikTok? But I, you know what? I'm not sure I want to work that hard on TikTok. You know what I mean? <laughs> it does seem like a lot of work. I'm not, yeah, I it mean, does, doesn't it? I, don't, I mean, hey, as you said, I'm old. I'm not sure I want to work that hard anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last thing, because I do love, I, I love storytelling, and I love kind of analyzing it and probably overanalyzing it. But what is the difference? I feel like I have a good idea on, on the print side and how to start a story, the once upon a time. What, what's the secret on in your medium on television to telling a good story especially the start how do you get hook a reader or a viewer in well i mean you, you the, the challenge in television is you you tell a story the same way whether you're doing it for 18 seconds whether you're doing it for 18 minutes or you're doing it for 18 hours so that whole once upon a time can can change but even to the point of if you have a, a right winger going down the down the outside and takes a puck and, and shoots it and the goalie makes a great save, you know that replay sequence is once upon a time. Ready, mm-hmm. you ready? Camera two, take two. Close up of the of the goaltender. Once upon a time there was a goaltender. Wipe to the replay. Two replays. Here was the goaltender making a great save. Wipe back to the guy who shot the puck. He lived happily ever after. <laughs> you know that's. And that's, you know, and trying to ingrain that into people. And now you do that. That's, we did that in 18 seconds. Yeah. Now, you have to, now you have to be able to do that. Can you tell once upon a time at the start of the first period and by the end of the first period, can you find a way to have told a story through that 20-minute frame of hockey? That becomes the challenge. Those are the challenges. We tend to, once we get into the passion of producing sports, we, we fly off the handle and we lose focus. But you have to be able to maintain focus and put two or three threads of that information through that 20-minute period to be able to say, here's the story. We told you at the start of the period, you should watch for these three things. Did those three things happen? Two of them did. Here's why. And the one didn't. Here's why it didn't happen. That's, that's once upon a time. So those are the types of things that you have to ingrain in people. Hmm. Love it. Well, John, thanks for doing this. I appreciate yeah, sorry it. Sorry for uh, rambling on. So. No, it's great. It's the, the perfect uh, meeting. You're not rambling. You're teaching. Even though if you well, might not you know, the, 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 the magic of podcasts, eh? you, you, know, doesn't, you, know, you just put it up there and people listen. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the <laughs> or, or Or not. No, they do. Think, think, thankfully, they do. So well, thanks, John, uh, for doing this. Man. It was great to, great to hear from you. It's great to hear from you, and I hope to see you in a rink somewhere, but something tells me in a rink somewhere won't be until 2021. Mm. Well, maybe uh, maybe we'll have to meet at a golf course. Cheers. All Halfway, right. Thanks, London. John. Halfway. <laughs> meet in London. Sounds okay. good. We'll see you. I want to thank John Shannon for joining the podcast. A, a lot. I, I love learning stuff from people, especially like John, who have he's done so much in the world, and especially the world I'm living in. So sorry if we got a little too inside baseball. I hope you were able to pull something from it. I hope maybe that that's something you want to learn, and, and maybe that's something you're interested in. And John was gracious with his time, great share, great teacher, even if he doesn't love it. Um, and I'm so excited that he was able to join the podcast. So thanks again to John Shannon. For doing that. A couple of things before we wrap up. Um, go listen to Two Man Advantage with Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun because Nick Felino was their guest this week of the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
And Nick Foligno is one of the great dudes in hockey. Like he, he's the best. I love. He's if if Columbus comes to town, you got to go into the dressing room and see Nick Foligno because he's fun to chat with. Uh, great guy, great family, incredible story there, and um, he was he was really good on two man advantage because of course he was. Um, also, if you missed Jack Han, was really good on the full sixty last week. We've got some bonus episodes coming up, so make sure you're subscribing to the full sixty wherever you listen to podcasts. We've got another prospect series um, on tap within the next week, hopefully, maybe another bo- uh, bonus episode as well crammed in there so make sure you are hit the subscribe button on wherever you listen to podcasts or the follow button on the athletic app so you will be notified whenever there is a new full 60 and lastly if you're not subscribing to the athletic make sure you do it through the full 60 link if you want to save 40 percent that's john jed oh i'm doing the shilling this is exactly what john jed was talking about to save 40 percent off the athletic go to theathletic.com slash full 60 I hope I did that well enough for John. Theathletic.com slash full60, and you get 40% off a subscription to the greatest media site on earth. All right, you guys, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week.